All right, Alexander, let's talk about the big news that happened over the weekend. And uh, actually, a lot of a lot of things happened over the weekend. Uh, but let's start things off with Israel and Netanyahu. And then we'll move towards uh, Syria, Eastern Syria, and what's going on there. And uh, Netanyahu, the, the, the spark that set everything off, even though there's been a lot of protests in and around this judicial reform in Israel, the, the spark that really set things off and got people onto the streets in huge numbers was the firing or the resignation of the defense minister. To be honest, I, I've read articles that have said he resigned, and I've read articles saying that Netanyahu fired him. I'm not no. sure which one it is, but I, I don't no. think it matters no, too Nor much. am I. I don't know which it is. The, I don't think it matters. The fact that... actually. <laughs> Yeah. The fact that he's gone is what put yes. people yes. onto the streets yes. in large yes. numbers. The, the, the key point to make is that all of these various events are connected to each other. The crisis in Israel, I mean, obviously it has domestic causes as well, but there is an overarching regional explanation. The fact that there's these, this crisis in eastern Syria with you know pressure now on US forces there, and of course... Things happening even further east with the Saudis and the Iranians, and importantly with the Saudis and the Syrians now. So let's talk about Netanyahu, and let's talk about the situation in Israel. Now, Netanyahu has dominated Israeli politics since the mid-early 1990s. He's been around longer than any other leader that I can think of at the present time. I'm sure there's others who've been around longer still, but he's been sort of permanent fixture on the international scene, especially uh, after the second time he was elected Prime Minister of Israel, which is, I think, sometime in the mid-2000s. But I think it's fair to say that over the last couple of years, his star has faded. So if you remember, at the, you know, a couple of years ago, about 2019, I think, there were increasing numbers of legal challenges to him. There was allegations of corruption. He became involved, enmeshed in various court cases. He, there was, he then failed to win a series of elections. Um, there was complicated periods of government when you know, governments were put together and fell almost immediately as Netanyahu tried to cobble together coalitions. Then last year... He seemed to be out conclusively, and a new government was formed without him, with Prime Minister Bennett. That turned out to be very unstable. Netanyahu appeared to come back, except that he does look a very diminished figure. He's never fully consolidated his position in, in Israel, or so it seems to me. And what he then tried to do um, over the last few weeks, and it does look to me as if this is partly intended to reassert his authority in Israel, and though he denies it, perhaps to try and put these legal cases behind him. He tried to tighten his control on the Israeli judiciary. He tried to pass a reform of the judiciary which would enable the government to pick judges more effectively than they can do. Or at least that's my understanding of it. Now, that created a lot of unease. 
The defence minister, who's a member of the Likud party, by the way, Netanyahu's party, came out and opposed it. The president of Israel has opposed it. The <laughs> defence minister was either sacked or resigned. We have massive protests out in the streets. And just a few hours ago, Netanyahu backed down and he withdrew this reform. Now, for all I know, you know, let's not, you know, he may very, it may very well be that all these allegations against him are valid, and it could still be a case of lawfare against him by the Israeli judiciary. I, I'm not going there. All I'm saying is there's been this crisis, this internal crisis in Israel, and Netanyahu's position seems to me to be crumbling. I, I can't imagine that he will retain his dominant position in Israeli politics for much longer. Why is that happening? Well, if you put aside the internal causes, I think what has made Netanyahu the effectively permanent prime minister of Israel for so long was that he appeared to be winning continuously on the diplomatic front. He had a very close relationship with the US, a very close relationship with Russia. He had this strong partnership with the Saudis, even though Israel has never formally had diplomatic relations with the Saudis, but he did. He had a very friendly relationship with Egypt, the leadership in Egypt and other countries. What's happened over the last couple of years is that's all crumbled. He lost his friend, Donald Trump, who ceased to be president. He's found it more difficult to keep the relationship with Russia as strong as it was. But most importantly, there's been this diplomatic revolution in the Middle East. The Saudis and the Iranians have reconciled. The Saudis and the Syrians have reconciled. Saudi Arabia is now going to reopen diplomatic relations with Syria. There's been that decision has been made. Um, Assad has visited the UAE. Um, it looks now a certainty that Syria is soon going to be readmitted into the Arab League. The Syrian war, in which Netanyahu had to some extent been supported the insurgency against um, Assad, the Syrian war is over. Assad is still there. The relationship between Syria and Iran is still there. Hezbollah in Lebanon is still there. All the pieces have come together in a way that will be causing many people in Israel to say, what good does Israel now get from having Netanyahu, an abrasive person many of us don't like, still as prime minister? His diplomacy, which seemed to be so successful for so long, is failing. And it's starting to look as if Israel is beginning to become isolated from being, you know, this dominant force in the Middle East, allied with the superpower that dominated the Middle East, which is the United States. The US has been gradually edged out, and Israel's position is diminished, and Netanyahu doesn't seem to have 
an answer to this? Well, shouldn't... Um, what, what do you think if, if Israel starts to also adjust to this new reality? Shouldn't, it, shouldn't this be the, the way forward now? I, I mean, here's an article from 1945, a title I'm going to read to you. China's new Mideast order is anti-American. Thanks to Joe Biden's horrific leadership, America is about to lose the Middle East and will and will soon see China and Russia capturing it. I, I mean, this this is directly related to Israel. Yes. I mean, here you have 1945 saying that the U.S. has vacated yep. the Middle East because, as we've said often on many shows, the Biden White House is completely consumed and obsessed with Ukraine. They don't, they don't see anything else. They're, they're, they're abandoning their positions around the world to focus in on Ukraine, where they're losing. And, you know, maybe it's time for, for some leadership in Israel to, to say, you know, we've, we've got to adjust to the new realities that are, yes. that are forming. And Netanyahu, maybe he just didn't have... He didn't have that 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 ability to to do quite this. possibly, but of course there is the there is the contrary explanation, which is the one I actually lean to, which is that Netanyahu, for all his weaknesses, and you know I'm not a fan of Netanyahu's. I should make that absolutely clear. He was a person of real diplomatic skills, and he did preserve a relationship with the Russians, and he's maintained also a reasonably good relationship with the Chinese. Now look at who has just either sacked or been resi or resigned and who's speaking out against Netanyahu. The defence minister, somebody, in other words, who comes from within the Israeli military, I believe he's an admiral, somebody who will have very close connections with the United States and look who's protesting in the streets against Netanyahu. It's, again, the kind of liberal people in Israel, predominantly, who are the ones who I would have thought are most friendly to the Democratic Party in the United States, or at least most connected with it. Now, if you think about it in that way, there has to be, Israel has to adjust its policies. It's got to find some way out of this situation that it's in. It's seeing the position of the U.S. crumble. Uh, look at what's happening in Syria at the moment. There's, the U.S. still has troops in eastern Syria. What they're doing there, by the way, I don't understand. But anyway, they're there. We now have Russian fighter jets. They're overflying the U.S. Air ba uh, uh, base at Al-Tamf. They're actually, the Russians are sending their fighter jets to fly over this base. The um, U.S. troops are finding themselves under attack. Not clear who is attacking them, by the way. Could be militias connected to Iran, but now they're on the defensive. Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, was so obviously worried about the deteriorating situation that he actually had to go to eastern Syria to see what was going on there a short time ago. So things are not looking well for the U.S., in the Middle East. Netanyahu has never had a good relationship with Biden, never had a very bad relationship with Obama. He's got reasonably good relations with the Russians. He's got reasonably good relations with the Chinese. Perhaps, just possibly, someone, somewhere, is worried that with the overall US position in the Middle East, 
collapsing. The time has come to get Netanyahu aside before he starts reaching to the kind of conclusions that you have reached, that the Israel also starts to need to distance itself from the, from the United States. I don't want to say that I know that, because I don't know that. And Netanyahu has long history of being very close to the US himself. I believe he was partly educated there. But it seems to me that if there's any political leader in Israel who, through background, experience and diplomatic skills, might be best positioned to lead Israel out of this cul-de-sac, if you like, it is Netanyahu. And if you're worried from an American perspective that you might lose Israel as well as all the other places that you're already losing, well, you can see why you might, in that case, say to yourself, it's time to get Netanyahu once and for all out of the way. Yeah, well, get uh, Israel closer to the Biden White House. That's not going to work out well no. for Israel. No, it isn't. No. <laughs> At all. No. I mean, that should be obvious. And I hope enough people in Israel understand that. But, you know, that Israel has been under heavy pressure for a long time with the U.S. wanting it to side openly with Ukraine and against Russia and uh, wanting Israel to supply weapons and technology to Israel to fight Russia. Um, that has been, you know, that's irrefutable. We know that. And that the Israelis have been resisting this pressure, both Bennett, who tried to broker peace, and to some extent Netanyahu as well. That's also indisputable. And when you're dealing with people as obsessed as the White House, the Biden White House is, well, probably that isn't acceptable. And you can see why they might now be taking the step of interfering directly in Israeli politics, which I have to say, I suspect is partly what's going on in Israel. I mean, as I want to make it clear, none of this is intended from my side as any personal endorsement of Netanyahu. It's just looking at the people who are opposing him. They're the sort of people who I would expect to be most connected with this administration in the United States. And I can't help but think that with everything else in the Middle East going wrong, the US is at least trying to make sure that Israel remains on side. Yeah, and boy, did it go wrong this weekend in East Syria for the uh, for the US. And we've been saying this for a while now on our... Uh, and our shows that, uh, you know, this U.S. force in East Syria, they're, they're isolated, yeah. they're vulnerable. And I didn't think it would happen no. this quickly that, that they would come yes. under, uh, under fire. But And who wanted happened. to get them out and who twice tried to and who twice ordered that they should be withdrawn. It was the former president, Donald Trump. And of course, he was sabotaged. And the people who sabotaged it, did so quite openly and bragged about it. They bragged about the fact that they disobeyed a presidential order. <laughs> and now look where we are. I mean, I, I'm not saying these troops are trapped, but they're in a very vulnerable situation indeed. And they're not achieving anything. 
they're not achieving anything useful to the United States. So if ever there was another example of where Donald Trump was right and his detractors were wrong, well, here's another one. Here's another case. Yeah, he, he did get uh, he did get into the the trap of um, the narrative trap as well as the the actual trap of the troops being there to steal yes. the oil. And I mean, he did Absolutely. say that. And, and there you, you you see how you see how the hand of Bolton was shaping the the foreign policy, and and it took Trump to to break away from Bolton's spell so that he could see see things for what they really were in East Syria which is you know this is this is just not a good position for the American troops to be in but Bolton wanted those troops there Pompeo wanted those troops there because outside of stealing the oil they do act as a tripwire to lead to some sort of grand war yeah. with Iran and, and that's yeah. that's absolutely right I mean so I, I you know again I don't want to suggest you know Trump was perfect in his handling of the Middle East. He wasn't. And he made terrible personnel decisions, as we know. And as you correctly said, he fell into narrative traps. He fell into a narrative trap over Assad as well, in my opinion. And he fell into narrative traps over this uh, presence of those US troops. But overall, and I think people perhaps might want to remember this, um, he did maintain in fact, even increase U.S. influence in the Middle East. He had a good relationship with the Saudis. He had a good relationship with MBS. He secured all kinds of deals for uh, uh, the U.S. in Saudi Arabia. He got uh, many of the Gulf states to establish diplomatic relations with Israel, a long-standing U.S. objective. And all of that, in just over two years, has turned to dust. It is really extraordinary when you think about it. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but you know, the, the, yeah, the, the the Biden White House no. doesn't care no. about them. No. They don't care about the Middle East. They don't care about Africa. They don't care about South of it. They don't care. They're they're completely focused on uh, on Russia yes. and Ukraine. Yes, and uh, we're seeing the results of that. We're seeing the results yeah. of that. We're seeing that results every day. So, Yeah, so uh, real quick, what happens in, in East Syria to close out the video? What's what's going to happen now? Well, there's a danger this could escalate. The, the, you know, American soldiers might start to get killed. There's rumours that at least one contractor has been killed. And a contractor can cover all kinds of things, by the way. It might be a mercenary, it might be a civilian contractor. Who knows? More like, most likely a mercenary. And, you know, there's probably a lot more mercenaries than there are actually regular troops. But if regular troops get killed, that's going to be a problem. If uh, um, the US has to resort to airstrikes, which some people are talking about, well, that's going to cut again against the policy of trying to focus everything you have on China. Um, there was talk that, you know, they're going to send A-10 Thunderbolts, ground attack aircraft, and they're going to send the more, more advanced fighter jets to confront the um, Chinese. It could be that because nobody's really paying much attention, we could find ourselves in a new conflict in the Middle East. 
Or it could be, and I think this is actually the more likely. At some point, the Pentagon just tells Biden, we can't keep these troops there any longer. They have to be pulled out. Who knows? Or, or the yeah, worst... You know, the interesting part about the neocons... The worst scenario, of course, of all. Yeah. Well, not the worst, but one other scenario is that they stay there, continue to suffer ca casualties, and it gradually... And they gradually bleed. And that's not impossible with this, with this administration. Yeah, but the neocons... The interesting part about the neocons, there is the faction of the neocons that is absolutely obsessed with Ukraine. But there is that Bolton Pompeo faction of the neocons, which which is really gearing up for a conflict Absolutely. with Iran. Like if you went to Bolton and said, which conflict do you prefer, Ukraine, Russia, or Iran? I mean, he'd go Iran, without no. a doubt, as would Pompeo. No question opinion. about this. So I think there are some neocons who are just, they, they, they see the opportunity of, of a conflict in Syria and it's spilling over to, to some sort of conflict well, with Iran. I mean, that's that's the. Sense I think that that's I right. Get. I mean, they must also be extremely angry and agitated about the fact that um, this entire position of the United States in the Middle East has been sacrificed and given up in the way that it is to China, in the way that it is. You know, Pompeo made a very interesting speech in which he said, you know, that uh, the whole point of U.S. policy had been to keep China and Russia apart from each other, and instead they're coming together, and this is very bad and dangerous for the US. That was a piece of realistic insight from Pompeo, but of course he's a fervid neocon and he sees it in different terms because as you rightly said, he's a neocon who's more focused on the Middle East than on Russia and Bolton is exactly the same. So they, they will be angry, they will be extremely concerned about what's happening and they could very easily try something. You know, one of the problems... And we go, go back to what we were saying about the Biden administration right at the beginning, is that there isn't a very strong figure at its core. There isn't a person really in charge able to make proper decisions. You have someone instead who drifts, he's drifted into this conflict with the Russians over what one senses were ultimately emotional and visceral reasons. He's not able, he doesn't have the mental energy, if you like, to break away from that and to start thinking about other things. He's got his little group around him that basically keep him on track. But it's not impossible that before long we're going to see another faction stepping in, stepping in another neocon faction trying to pull the US in the other direction. So it's it's not something that's very thought through or very calculated. But, you know, we could start to see things become increasingly unstable with different factions pulling in different directions and, heavens help us, ending up getting the United States involved in another conflict, this time with Iran, even as it's still involved in a conflict in Ukraine. In other words, not find a way to stabilise the situation in Ukraine, but just keep the Ukraine war going and at the same time start something in Iran. So, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if that happens, because 
you don't have a Lyndon Johnson or a JFK or a Richard Nixon or you know all you know, all kinds of troubled, just concerning people, but people nonetheless who could make decisions and who could decide on priorities. All right, we'll leave it there. The Duran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Rockfin, Odyssey Pachute, and Telegram. And go to the Duran shop, 10% off. Use the code good day. Take care.